All right, welcome to the TLT Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Debrinkit, and today we're joined by a special guest, Bryce Johnson. He was just at the Leadership Intensive as a mentor. He had a group of teens that he was mentoring, and I thought he'd be a perfect, uh, I guess, first real guest to the TLT Podcast show. We are not in front of a live studio audience right now. We are just still in Florida, having fun. We are in front of a live audience of geese, though. Oh, yeah, they're they're out there, and they're honking. Hopefully, you don't hear them. So let's get right into the show. Anything challenging is going to be hard. But so what? Hard could be the new fun. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Who's going to carry the boats? Endeavor to persevere. If you want to be a good leader, you have to understand human nature. I never look back, but it distracts from the now. Bryce, I want to just jump right in. I want to hear, you are, you were a mentor at this leadership intensive. What gives you the authority? Why do you mm. think you are a leader? Well... One thing that came abundantly clear over the last week was, uh, yeah, I kind of been exposed to these concepts before. I've been exposed to this kind of like leadership kind of counseling uh, authority figure before when I was in college. Um, but now that I'm 27, I have um, not listened to a lot of that advice. So... <laughs> It's one of those things where I have uh, done it right and I've done it wrong. I've I've done a myriad of different things, and in each role that I've done, I have realized my key drivers is to create a inclusive atmosphere that builds uh, people up, that creates a stronger bond uh, within an organization. So, for me, this last week was really exciting to to get to explore that again. And to really get to say, okay, no, I am that kind of teacher, that kind of um, coach kind of mentality. And, and that's the type of position that really fits for me. Mm. And I think that's uh, one of the biggest things that a leader has to be. So it's almost something that it's not necessarily, because you said that you were taught all this stuff, you didn't really pick it up. It's more of an inherent, it's, it's a, a part of who you are, as opposed to something that you have learned over time. Uh, the leadership? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of both. Um, I was fortunate enough growing up to have a lot of people say very positive things about me. Like, you're going to do big things. You're going to do great things. You're, you're going to be, you know, a change agent one day and, and all these things. So it, it put that seed in my mind of, you know, raising my expectations of myself a little higher. So mm. Um, also growing up in a Christian home, you know, we were always set apart to be different. So when I was in football, I would be, you know, doing things differently. I wouldn't be in that locker room talk kind of stuff. Um, it helped that I had nothing to talk about in those <laughs> conversations. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I've always, I've always kind of felt like I was expected to be a leader and, and I kind of stepped up to the plate. Now it is a hundred percent part of who I am. That's awesome. So I feel like that's, yes, that is your personal family experience, but I feel like Mm. as a generation, this generation has been raised with you can do anything. Yeah. And for a lot of people, 
I think it's been good, but for a lot of people, it's been bad. Like, I think the same effect it had on you, it had on me. My parents were very encouraging. They said I could do anything that I want. And because of that expectation for greatness, I felt like I had to work really hard to meet the expectation. But I feel like a lot of children our age, and I use the word children because I don't know if they're, you know, quite there yet to be an adult, but... I feel like a lot of these young adults nowadays that were raised with mm. being told they could do anything, mm-hmm. it almost made it so that they don't have to try anymore. Well, I wouldn't necessarily go that far. I mean, on the one hand, we have had a lot of things in our society today with technology and the ability to network and to ask that things are a heck of a lot easier now than mm. they were. So it almost cuts down that whole survival of the fittest. It actually widens the door for that. Um, There is a pro and a con with an overabundance of uh, support. Uh, I've experienced this in my life where I was told, you're going to do great things or you're going to be a leader. And so I had this pedestal of who I'm supposed to be way up there. And I just felt like I was living in the shadows of that for a long time Mm. and didn't realize it. Uh, That's something that I don't think I've ever heard people talk about but when you expect yourself to be one way and it ends up being another um, there's also another point where um, there's the the responsibility of sharing those encouraging words to to other people so that you know they can live up to it but it's not going to be easy the you can do anything mindset Mm. and paired with the likelihood of that being true or like there are so many things people can do the technology the the connections as i mentioned before but one thing my friend and i have meant have talked about a lot is you can do anything but you can't do everything mm. and uh, that is something that i found myself trapped in a lot you know it's kind of like that concept that when you're scrolling through netflix and Let's say you got Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, all this stuff. It's like, man, TV's better than ever because mm-hmm. we have so many options to choose from. Quality options too. Quality, great options. But we sit there scrolling all day mm-hmm. because it's just like, what do we watch? There's so much to do. Is so much opportunity for things to view. That's like you find yourself not even being able to pin something down. So it's almost kind of that same thing where, yes, you can do anything that you put mm-hmm. your mind to. But you can't watch your mind it all. To everything. Right. Yeah. And you can bring that into so many dim- different atmospheres. I mean, I remember when I was in college, I felt like I had to have a profession. I had to have a career. I had to essentially know what I was going to dedicate the next 40 years of my life to. Mm. And as a creative, I guess, like there are so many different things that are legitimately interesting. And so I spent majority of my college career spinning my wheels trying to pin down the perfect three-year five-year plan of which of these dozen interests am I actually going to commit to and it led me when I graduated looking back and say I didn't actually do anything that I wanted Mm. because of that analysis paralysis of that the I was past that sweet spot of either you have one choice you have a few choices or you have too many choices Mm. When you cross that threshold, you kind of just get stuck. And then you pair that shame with like, I should be moving. You know, so that's that's a lot of what I was dealing with. I want to talk to you about what you actually went to college for, mm. what you graduated with, and that passion mm. that you you have. But I want to first share maybe a little thing. I, I hear a lot. I talk to a lot of elderly people. 
I love talking to old people and I, or as I call it pre old, I have yeah. <laughs> on my parents and I, we have a certain boundary. It's like, okay, you're, mm. you're not old until you're like 70 something, which I, I agree with. I don't yeah. think 60 is old. Oh, no, definitely not anymore. No. But I like, uh, older people cause I think they have so much wisdom, so much to offer, but I hear a lot of these people kind of talking down to mm. our generation as far as lack of motivation, lack of purpose, uh, being lazy. I hear that all the time. They're lazy. Mm. But what I'm starting to realize, and I want to hear your opinion about this, mm. is that maybe from the outside, these things might look true. But I think also what majority is true, that even a lot of people our age can't really uh, come to this conclusion, is that we're realizing that selling ourselves to a corporation and getting this job that we are supposed to work for for 40 years so that we can get benefits at the end and doing something that we necessarily don't even like and this whole structure that our society has been built around for the past hundred years it's like maybe this isn't the way and i think subconsciously our culture especially our age people they're realizing that like like and they're not trying to rush into it oh i don't think it's even subconscious anymore like it is full-on out there this is clearly not the path to go and while yeah on the one hand it looks like we're being lazy but we watched our parents go through jobs go through careers do things that they absolutely hated just to be at the end of the life and realize well i wish i had done something else or uh, i think someone told a story of someone who was very very close to retirement and then they got fired and they get their pension. Like, that's right. awful. It's horrible. Um, and and that, yeah. that, that was actually me. I, I, I spoke to some dude at a garage sale and he was telling me about his grandson who's all, who's all lazy and this and that. And I was like, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe he just doesn't want to go mm-hmm. into this career path that you got, that your generation has kind of been tricked into falling yeah. into? And it opened his eyes and he was like, you know what? I sit, I sit here every day in my retirement just wishing I could have gone to my kids' baseball games. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not thinking about the work I did. I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm thinking about, man, I missed out on life. And there's a so much truth to that. When I think our generation has been, well, I say that, but I'll get I'll loop back around to that little our generation topic. Um, but we are focusing on actually like living life. And to me, like what does life consist of? Like to me, I define what life is truly about by the things not man-made. So that goes to the relationships mm. that you build with others, the love that you can, the cultures that have sprung out of, you know, entire like human existence, uh, the just natural world. Like these are traveling, things, seeing these things. Exactly. And like, these are things that aren't man-made. And to me, that means those are the things that what life is actually about. Mm. So to overstress yourself by just the hustle and being focused on that, miss the point of why we're actually here. Um, But it really does also go back to your values. Um, When I was traveling in, where was I? I'll just say Europe. Uh, I forget (laughs) what, I forget what city it was in. Um, That's a, that's a good, see, that's a good problem to have. You're like, Oh, I've been to so many places. I don't even know. (laughs) Back in Prague. No. Um, So I was in Europe and this is, you know, when you're staying in hostels, you're surrounded by people who are, close to 20 somethings right and this one dude who was like in his 60s and 
he was telling his story about how he was this big shot in Toronto, Canada, and his best friend and business partner ended up dying out of a uh, heart attack just right. randomly. But he was one of the fit guys, you know, was very like aggressive, you know, I'm going to take care of my body, I'm going to take care of my business, uh, but suddenly died. And after he went to the funeral and they were packing up all his things at the office, he realized that his friend only subscribed to travel magazines, but he took like two days off for the last like 10 years. Jeez. And he said at that moment, he knew what he had to do. So he sold everything he owned and spent like over two years basically in Southeast Asia. And he said it costs less traveling the world than just trying to maintain in Toronto. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So That's so huge. You know, I've been thinking about this concept of we live in a society where we feel so free. Like we tell ourselves we're free. We, we have a constitution that tells us that we're free, but yet we're almost enslaving ourselves. Oh, and we're thousand percent. We're hundred percent. Like we're, we're working a job that maybe we don't like. We, we can enjoy some days, but most of the time we're, we're like not really into it to pay for a house to sleep in, to pay for food to eat, to pay for a car to drive back and forth to work. With nothing less well, they, left after. Like, well, how does it go? Is like you work at a job you don't like to pay for a car you don't need uh, to uh, buy clothes to impress people you don't like. Uh, and it, the list just goes on and on. <laughs> it's like, uh, what are we doing? But I will also interject <laughs> here is like, I feel like, again, going back to what are your drivers and what are your values? That lifestyle isn't inherently wrong. I think that the self-motivated entrepreneur who breaks free from the typical standards of society is for a select few. Like, I think it would be wrong of us to try to encourage, like, everybody needs to do this. Whereas there's so many people say, you know what? I'm just, I'm content with what I have. Like, even though I know that the structure is built around me so that I'm not going to win, like, I don't have to win. And I think, you know, if that, if you're perfectly comfortable being, just having your eight to five, having your, your life just the way that it was expected, great, more power to you. Um, Isn't and, that what we're all yeah. trying to do is just be content? I Absolutely, be content. And I think the better word is to be authentic. Um, this is something that I often bring up when talking about faith is like, God is looking more than anything for an authentic relationship. And you also have to have an authentic relationship yourself before you can have it with anybody else. Uh, even the creator of the universe who knows you more than anybody. So there's a, there's another a word for it, but being uh, um, not autodidact, that means a self learner, but um, as automated, I'll think about it later. I'm okay. sure. Um, but let's look back to something I said earlier, and I would like to get your thoughts maybe on this um, when talking about our generation and today's age. I think about um, the wisdom book Ecclesiastes that says nothing is new under the sun. Mm. And I look back at the different generations that have come and how each one is a little bit different than the next. Oh, yeah. Um, but like my parents, my dad graduated high school in 76, right? So hippie movement, Vietnam, all this stuff. And, you know, same thing. Oh, that generation is lazy. You know, they're just a bunch right. of hippies. 
um, you know, go to the eighties. Oh, they're just a bunch of freedom fighters. Go back to the, uh, and you know, cocaine was rampant in the eighties. <laughs> like there's, and so like the nineties is, is the technology boom. So like every single generation is going to have something that they're going to be blamed to be like the worst of the worst. Right. Um, I remember seeing like a news article from like hundreds of years ago that was complaining about the use of chalkboards and I saw that. Yeah, one. use chalkboards. They're like, oh, they're never gonna learn how to write with paper and quill. It's <laughs> right. <laughs> always something else. We're always complaining about technology. We're always right. complaining about the new generation. Um, but it's it's nothing to really be scared about. You know, Mark Twain. He said, "History doesn't repeat itself, but, but sure it does rhyme." Sure does rhyme. Yeah, it's like great, that. It's like that. Sa- it's like that same exact thing. It's like it's not repeating itself exactly. You see so many similarities, and mm-hmm. it does happen every generation of. I mean, I'm even at the place right now where I don't know where I fit in. I'm not Gen Z, I'm not millennial, but I'm looking at both of them, and I'm just like, guys, you got, you're not. <laughs> this isn't good. <laughs> yeah, this no. can't be the future of parents. Mm. This is crazy. Like these people are so self focused and trying to find themselves and hair color and and all this stuff. It's just like mm. they're focused on such outer race and sex and all this stuff. It's just like, how are these people going to raise the next generation? This is kind of There's a whole lot to be said about um, a push for identity and uniqueness. And that is totally unnecessary because human beings thrive within boundaries, loose boundaries, mind you, but Mm. boundaries nonetheless. And so what I see what I'm worried about is how we're trying to strip away all these, you know, boundaries, all these identifiers. And then it goes back to, you can do anything. Okay. Well then what should I do? Well, anything and everything. Well, that's, so that's what I said. So like, but (laughs) if you don't know what that is, then you're just kind of left there with an empty, empty book. And that can be exciting to a lot of people. But when you completely just focus on like, you have to be unique. You have to be special. You have to be, you know, don't listen to anybody. Then it, it kind of actually leaves you with less identity than than having some type of expectation. Or at least that's mm. my uh, my personal belief. Because what happened with me is my parents uh, both came from poverty, and they both, you know, worked their way up and in different ways. Or less. I mean, my dad had jobs kind of like every other year. He was chasing jobs. I, my parents went through like two bankruptcies growing mm. up. Um, and they very much believe that like they did build a better life than the ones that they grew up in. So kudos to that. And they're great people. They, they did an amazing job. But one thing that I can say I definitely would have helped is someone stepping in and, and trying to chisel out that image of the future for me that image of kind of um what to do or, or how to do it is it, it was very much you can do anything and then i was like okay well well now what you know and it's, yeah it's like it's like you can do anything but then what do most people choose to do lay in bed and scroll through their phone yeah it's yeah. like there's just so much to do that they end up actually doing, doing nothing. nothing yeah just kind of spooky now, you went to college. You did something. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's go back to the original question. So, so, what like did you, it, right, right. so what did you graduate college for? Like, what did you go for? So I graduated college at the University of Mississippi, a.k.a. Ole Miss. 
uh, with a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. I got okay. two minors in uh, one in manufacturing, the other one in environmental studies. Uh, I went in wanting to do prefabricated housing, net zero housing. Like, how can we um, make society to where we actually need less resources, where we mm. use less, we waste less? And I was going to try to double major in uh, civil and mechanical. That was not a good idea. Um, but uh, in the middle of that, I did a year-long internship with a uh, multi-billion dollar company called AVB. And um, so, and also throughout that, I did other small jobs. But that's my kind of been my main focus is growing up with parents who both came from poverty. Uh, I wanted to help, like, I hate waste. Right. Absolutely hate waste. Like if you don't finish your meal, you're taking it home and you're, you're, eat, you're eating it for breakfast or you, <laughs> you better eat it now. Right. Um, so, so I, I could not stand the idea of waste. And so that's kind of what I went into. And I learned a lot about waste from a kind of corporate manufacturing standpoint. And that's actually really helped with my understanding of, of life and built a lot around my philosophies of minimalism and, um, so much other things that it bleeds into. I think that's so awesome because you really are taking charge. You're taking leadership by, because we can, you know, recycle in the home and minimize waste in the household. But it's like, who's really causing most of the damage? It's these corporations. It's these giant, it's not so much me driving to work that's that's causing the air to be polluted. It's these giant, multiple hundred ton ships driving across the ocean trying to get, it's little, things back and forth. It's a it's little just, bit of everything, and um, I've heard the argument that you you know start small, then you'll start changing the mindset, and then you can you know change the world, and that has some validity to it. Um, but it is important to know both sides uh, because if you are going to say, "Gosh dang it, it's the big corporations." <laughs> And we, they should be acting this way. It's like, okay, well, are you also acting that way? Mm. You know, it's like practice what you preach no matter what level you're talking about. All um, right. I like that. Yeah. I've always said um, one thing that really irritates me is when people don't have a constant standard. Like you can talk about a lot of the politics. That's why I avoid politics a lot because there's, there's not different standards. So depending on what they're talking about, like, well, do you, that's sustainability and like in general. Okay. And this might go into a very controversial topic right now. Let's, let's dive in, okay. bro. I'm down. But the example I usually give is, um, sustainability or let's say veganism. Okay. In the not too extreme, but relatively extreme, uh, and pro-life, the abortion. Okay. Mm -hmm. So both of these topics are talking about life and how important life is. Mm. Right? Mm. Right? All right. So if you have a strong right-wing conservative who believes that absolutely under any circumstance, do not kill the baby. Well, then in that case, you should also say, okay, life is inherently valuable. So we should protect life and all life. Right. And we should see more people who are full-on right-wing conservatives also being, you know, supporting the protection of the planet and, and right. all life. That makes me so upset when right. I see that a political side picks something to be passionate about and the other side out of a response. Mm -hmm. 
will do the opposite of it. I also care a lot about what you're talking about here yeah. with with manufacturing properly and mm-hmm. reducing waste, doing all this stuff. That doesn't have to be a left-wing viewpoint. It, it, it really shouldn't. It, it really, shouldn't. really shouldn't. And I don't know how or why it did. And you can see the other side, too, is the, the liberation of sexuality and the body and therefore also, you know, my body, my choice. But then you better, you know, not eat any meat because... <laughs> Their life is precious too, and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's like all life is precious. So right. That that's the type of things that is just it doesn't seem to match. Like, let's if you're going to believe something, let's apply that that framework to all the other topics that you're talking about within within the the, the frame of whatever it might be. So what yeah. this is, it's people be, being followers and not leaders. They're not thinking that far. Even they're just like, what does my group think? It's so much easier to subscribe to that. So I'm on at least a team. I want to be on a team. I want to. I want to have my brothers in arms. That like I, we are group. They are group. And I don't want to be in this weird in between. So they don't even think as far to go. Maybe I do care about the environment. (laughs) Honestly, the the in between is oftentimes the best place to be. I wouldn't even say. Oftentimes, I think it is. I think. That's our goal. I think every if everybody were in between, well, and this, could relate. It's like this actually, actually goes back somewhere. to another Mark Twain thing. Is uh, Mark Twain never voted a straight ballot because he didn't believe that it should be one side or the other. Mm. Um, and again, each side has its validity. Each argument for each both sides has their validity, and, and each w- side has its corruptions. Absolutely, and so when you try to be so dogmatic, um, no matter what side you're on, you're missing the point of well being human. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love it. I mean, come on, like you're not without fault, and, and if you take a step back to understand what their side is, you can you can say, okay, I see where you're going, I see where you're coming from, but I disagree. I mean, think back to before there was so much, um, again, I'm not talking crap about technology, but when you think about how political races were run uh, before basically like radio or just when radio coming out, it was four hours long of a speech that was prepared. And then Mm. the other candidate had four hours (laughs) to say their point. And so it's like, it's a whole speech and debate thing. Like, okay, here's your point. This is my rebuttal. And here's my other point. And we've lost that kind of sportsmanship, I would say. Oh, 100%. There is no sportsmanship. It is a brawl. Which is, speaking to the young people out there, um, please change this. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) We need leaders. (laughs) By the time you get around to to voting age, it'll be a little bit better. But uh, I'm not holding my fingers or holding my breath for it. Right. It's like like so crazy now because now we live in a world full of clips. And it's like, what does... The one-minute clip about my candidate. What did he say in that one clip? Oh, that sounds good to me. Oh, but that that other candidate, that one clip sounded bad to me. It's and like... It, <laughs> it goes on to a whole other thing about, okay, let's... I, I love talking about the whole view of politics because we don't... We use the presidency as a scapegoat, no matter who it is. Right. And you forget then that there's not only the executive branch, there's the legislative and the judicial. Within those, there's every single, like so many different Hundreds founders. of people. And, and then you break it down to like, who has the most impact on your life is most likely going to be your state governor and your county mayor. Mm. All right. So, 
or, or even smaller than that. <laughs> so it's like we make so much hoopla, for lack of a better term, <laughs> um, about these big political offices when it's like, having a guy like who has a say in your life? Right. It, it's completely disconnected from the day-to-day. Right, absolutely. Which is why being a Stoic uh, or looking into Stoicism, I think, has helped a lot with just being sane is because you get to, to like the serenity prayer goes like, Lord, give me the the knowledge to know what I can and cannot change. And when you start looking at the, that framework, like what is within my my power and what is outside of it? And don't worry about anything that's outside of your power. Mm. It's a huge breath of fresh air. Absolutely. Do you do you see yourself ever becoming a political figure? I mean, if I do, it's like way down the road in like my 60s. Sure. Uh, so, you know, stay tuned. <laughs> we will we will keep a close eye. <laughs> we're going to we're going to have a follow-up on this conversation uh, in uh, 2040 and actually that's not even that far away from now. That's only 20 years. Hey, but you'll be 47. I will be. I will be of legal age to run for president. But I would. Will would you want to do president? Or would God you want to no. do something? Yeah, no, it's not, it's not, it's not, that, that sounds like the worst job on the planet. It just sounds horrible. I would. I would do if anything, mayor or governor. That way, um, you can actually make an impact and see the people's faces that you're making exactly. an impact on. Exactly. And actually, hear them out. Like yeah. as the president, you can't hear what 350 million people have to say about anything. No. And you also, there's some other decisions that you have to be faced with that I just personally don't want to deal with. Mm. Like war. Mm. Whose lives should we take today? I'd rather not have that blood on my hands. Right. Um, I watched a movie last night, and uh, it was a DC um, movie from like early thousands called uh, The Watchmen. You know, superheroes, all that stuff. And uh, one of the scenes was like, uh, it's in the tension of cold war and you know the ussr has fifteen thousand nuclear bombs and all this stuff and their portrayal of richard nixon was you know waiting to say if we should or should not drop the 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 atom bombs and basically start world war three and i just was like thank god that's not gonna be me unless yeah that's a tough position uh -uh, no no but uh you know, I guess was Theodore Roosevelt, so I'd have a, a small voice and carry a big stick or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Voice. I know about the big stick. That's <laughs> that's what I know about. A few words. <laughs> be, be a man of few words and, and just be consistent, yeah. Mm. Um, so let me switch switch gears a little yeah. bit here. What do you think identify impact the annual leadership conference mm. that is held right here in South Florida each year? What did it, what was it like for you? It was, it was in a word, amazing. It was uh, challenging. It was eye-opening. It was um, just really rewarding to see, uh, you know, the students from ages of basically 12 to 20 uh, walk away with a different person than they came in. Mm. And that was that was so, so valuable to me. Uh, we saw students who you know, were in foster care walk away and say, you know what, I don't have to do this alone. I can ask for help and I have value. And that was just amazing. Like my voice is heard, my voice matters. 
Yeah. It's giving me chills down my spine yeah. right now. And it's, you're not even a kid saying it. I mean, no. it's like, so it's, you know it's, it's amazing. I'm, you know the people I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. You know? And then you had other other students who came in who didn't want to be there, who were shy. They just wanted to get it over with. Um, and then by the end of it, the most, this is the thing that made it so rewarding. Like I was waiting in the room where, where they picked up their backs before the left. And before they were in earshot, this one student, I could hear him tell his friend who was picking him up, like, man, this was incredible. This was amazing. Um, I can't wait to come back. I would never have done the things I did or meet the people I met. Uh, you should a hundred percent come next year. And this is like, I heard him down the hall saying this. I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. Uh, From my perspective, there were a lot of things that were challenging that um, when you have an intensive, it purposely brings out different emotions that you may not have experienced before or that you may not have experienced in a while. And for me to experience those feelings again was very refreshing and made me feel like a human being. Um, mm. and go like, okay, maybe I'm not over these certain things, you know? Oh my gosh, dude, you're, you're preaching to the choir. Yeah, certain the triggers, same exact way. triggers and like, okay, the, as a, uh, my older counselor said, uh, the trigger is the blessing because you get to recognize, okay, that's still, it. that's, st- that's in there. That childhood trauma is still there. <laughs> right. And okay, I'll just have to swallow that pride a little bit and, and, and you know, meditate on that or, or something. But um, when you acknowledge it, it was great. So, yeah, I was, I could not recommend it enough, and I am very excited to to be working with a team building it for like next year. Yeah, man, me too. I'm. Uh, this is something that I've become increasingly every single year more and more passionate about because I've always felt like I have a voice that matters, even as a stuttering little boy. I felt like people still listened to me, still heard what I had to say, and I thought I had some good things to say, and. This leadership intensive, it really, it brought out that leader in me that I wasn't expecting to be brought out for years and years and years. And it, uh, even on the media team, I mean, I, I, you get pushed to outside of your comfort zone, for sure, with uh, nights that you don't sleep enough and with certain stressors, it being hot, all this stuff. And I realized this trip that I totally, this angry child that I was, so absolutely totally still in there and it just got yeah. pushed out and i was like dang i need to i yeah. need i need to recognize that <laughs> and yeah. to go, i can fix it it's like yeah. i'm not prepared to lead yet because i still have this type of stuff and it yeah i can think all i want that i am you know more mature than people my age and i'm a leader <laughs> and all this but it's like you got i i recognize that i got a lot more work to do <laughs> for sure um and but that, that's a good yeah, thing that, that it, can it, definitely it, be a good thing you know uh, you're there are so many times in life where you do something that you like i never thought i would do that for good and for bad you right. know like if you push through and you're able to accomplish it or you slip up and you choose somebody out or you you know violate someone's trust and you're like mm. i never thought that that would be me and yet here here i am and i think this just goes into like there, there is darkness and there is light in each one of us. Mm. And we just have a different shade and a different depth, and it, you know, it, it all changes. We're, we're none of us are perfect, um, but as long as you are continually exposing yourself to places and events that challenge you, um, you're better off than those who are going to let those things vary, and then all of a sudden, 
out of nowhere, like whenever you have kids, you respond in that angry way. Right. And like, thank God it was just with, you know, a coworker or a student that you're able to have grace in a, a normal conversation and prepare for that, that, that small child that might, that event might trigger something and be a trauma in their mind. Right. Like, um, my, my counselor said that when he was a little boy, he was helping his dad fix his uh, car and try to hold the light. And his dad just like barked at him for being in the way. And that put something in his spirit that was just like, oh, well, I, I better stay out of the way. I don't need to be seen. I need to just hide mm. in the background. And, and it took until he basically started treating the teaching the class that he was able to be like, oh, oh, that's where that comes from. Wow. You know, it's, this is such an interesting topic. I really want to get into it. The idea of being a leader. Yes, you can think of being the president of the United States. You can think about being a big Fortune 500 CEO. You can think about all these things, but how about the leadership in your household? Mm -hmm. This is something that every single person that plans on or even doesn't plan on having children because we know that they can be uh, accidental. Right. This is something we need to keep in mind that even if we're not shooting for the stars to become a politician or become this big leader of what you would think is a leader, as a parent, you are a leader. Yeah. And I think my perspective is every position of leadership reflects parenthood. What do you mean? So when you think about parenthood, you know, your parents are the first leaders that you have. Right. And we all have imperfect parents. We all see imperfect leaders. But if as a leader, you see your constituents, your teammates, your fill in the blank as your children, you are going to want to build them up. You want them to be confident. You want them to be productive. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to do things that are going to hurt them later on. There's the other phrase that goes, um, people don't quit their jobs, they quit their bosses. Mm. right so when you i don't I feel like i'm just going to repeat myself but if you are a president or, or a senator and you have to take the time to with your constituents the people who put you in office in the first place and say i'm here for you i'm going to make the decisions that i believe are in your best interest because i have a perspective that you do not have but that does not mean your voice is not valuable a serving leader model. Exactly. And you should do the same thing as a parent. The parent needs to spend time with their children because, or else the, the child is not going to trust the parent. Mm. And then the parent needs to discipline their child or else their child is not going to respect the parent. That's not just a problem in the household. This carries out into everyday life. They don't respect or uh, follow direction from other people in their life, mm -hmm. like maybe teachers or maybe bosses or whoever else yeah yeah and there's a certain um when you instill there is a time we should you, you can recognize this is something i should or shouldn't follow but having respect of those in authority it should be across the board um but there's a lot i have a friend who i hate to say it is kind of selfish because he's like okay why should i follow the rules if that's not really what i want I'm like, well because other people are kind of involved right and this same friend, um, you know, has has put me in a little bit of financial uh, precarious positions because of of his like only me 
mindset. And, and that, that is not fun. That is not what the leader does. Mm, which yeah. you might hear and you might think, wait a second, that's every leader in my life. that's telling me what to do. And, and they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about the company that maybe they began and what's best for the company and all this. It's like, it, man, it, it really is about serving others. Yeah. And I mean, just how Jesus did. I mean, yeah. it's like his, his movement has lasted a very long time. And you're, you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> you could say that. And this company that started 50 years ago by your dad that got passed it down to you, yeah. is it going to last 2,000 years? I mean, there's absolutely. And so there's, there's the two ways to it. Um, as a leader, I think there's, I was thinking about this earlier, like there's a seven generation rule. It's like you make decisions thinking about the seventh generation from where you are today. Mm, right? Imagine if everybody... Imagine, exactly. Uh, and then on the other side, you as a someone who is under leadership, you should say, I don't know what they see. I don't know why they're telling me to do this. There has to be a reason. One, that doesn't mean that you don't have what you say doesn't mean anything because you also have a different perspective. Okay. Uh, but there's a reason why they're telling you what to do. I, with this topic, I'd like to shift then to like sexual purity, uh, because I decided not to have sex, uh, and not to even to drink, like especially that first year of college. And then all the way through college, uh, I did end up like drinking and, and craft beer is one of my favorite pastimes, but that's, <laughs> A different story. Like actually, that that spawned from respecting the drink, respecting what I'm putting in my body, and actually mm. respecting my body from that. In the same way, you think about um, abstinence, and and so many people kind of crap on the church for this, of saying, "Why are you telling them to to wait? Why are you telling them to be abstinent?" And like, and and most of the time, when you grow up in a Christian household, the answer is, "Oh, because God said so." Right. It was an extremely hard pill to swallow when you have raging hormones right so it helps when you introduce like kind of like okay god told me not to have sex he says to that several times but why like what why would he tell me this okay. is it just a rule that he set up to make me angry yeah. no of course is, not is he just telling me this just to see if i'll follow it you know that that seems a little bit cynical um, no, but when I took this year, the first year, especially to kind of rid myself of all kind of, uh, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll for freshman year, I was like, I realized there's a lot of reasons like one, um, STDs. I mean, that's kind of simple. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then people, okay, well I then wrap my wear, head around that one. Yeah. Okay. Well then wear a condom. Okay. Well then now, now we're going to get into like the reasons for sex and, and the psychological uh, things about it when you start looking for sex you that's the only thing you're looking for you meet somebody new you're well, especially the uh, whatever sex you're you know attracted to uh, but for me you know when I meet girls or when I was walking around campus like I was like she's hot she's hot oh, she's hot and it was it, it hurt me and it, it hurt my brain it, it put me in anxiety like all these things because I was looking for it whereas if I you know, just focus on, okay, I don't have to be looking at people for that, you know, just getting to know people for who they are. It lightens everything up. It makes it so much easier. Uh, then you get to the, the hormones that are released during sex are the very similar to when a woman gives labor. So there's that emotional chemical attachment to people. 
there's a comparison. That's a huge thing that nobody RH talks about is it's so real, scientifically oh, yeah. proven. It's mm-hmm. not just a, 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 ba- a face, faith-based concept. Oh, no. That when you have sex, you are it's a chemical transaction. It is a spiritual, real, biological, physical, psychological it's more than just physical. Literally, every you could talk about physical. There's physical benefits for it. There's psychological benefits for it. There's communal benefits for it. There's like so many things that literally, like it's better if you didn't. Or you can see, okay, if I didn't, it will benefit me in these ways. And again, let's go back to parenthood. If you are a parent, if you're in a position of leadership, you don't have to explain everything, okay? You are the leader, and you are the person that says, I, I know what's best for you, and so so do it. And a lot of times, because I said so, it does work. But it comes to a place where they, there is a point where explaining why might be helpful. Mm. A three when year, they're prepared. Exactly. A three-year-old is not going to understand, uh, why shouldn't I put the fork in the socket? Because it's going to because electrons are going to throw through the <laughs> copper wires into the f- aluminum fork, and then because your feet are grounded to the floor, you're going to act as a conduit. And they're like, no, they're, no, they're not going to be I able said to so. Right, right. I mean, most people who are in college. <laughs> that's a great, so that's a great example. Uh, like, you don't need to go into it. And the beauty of it is when you have that self education, and let's again with electric, like when you understand, like the beauty, in my opinion, as as an engineer. Um, like that's how electricity works. That's a beautiful thing. And you actually get to appreciate those kind of boundaries even more. Um, but yeah. So if, if you don't mind, let's, let's get back into the, your college yes. and your career, your future career at this point. Cause I, to my understanding, you're not fully evolved in the eco friendly, uh, manufacturing world quite yet. You've had some experience. Yeah. No. So not as though this is the one thing that I, I would probably, if I were to go back to do a little differently, um, I was so caught up in getting the right position, right? Getting the right job, getting the right thing that is exactly aligned with my values. And it's been three years since I've been in college and I've had some like jobs here and there, but looking at the jobs that I wanted to do, um, they were all for five years plus experience. And now it's been close to five years and I still don't have the experience because I was looking for that perfect job all along. Right. So definitely work to learn, not to earn. And so like you look at, okay, what is a valuable skill? Like when you're looking for a job, ask yourself, like look for the skills that you're going to build within those jobs in order to propel you forward. Mm. Not so much that this exact job has to align with what I want to do. Those are both very valid questions, but I think when going back to like, I have all these options, I have all these like possibilities in my future, um, just take steps forward and see what's, which step lands. Like, mm. I think we talked about this over the weekend or talked about it with someone else is start taking those small steps forward and then eventually you'll follow your curiosity and then eventually like one thing's going to land and then you take the next step. You know, there, you, it is going to do a whole lot more harm to try to sit back and be a perfectionist about your future because no one knows what the future holds. That's yeah. for that's for sure. And that's something I've been struggling with a lot lately is just not knowing 
what the future of the world looks like. I mean, not just my world. Yeah. I'm talking the world. Like it's it's almost an it's, it's this fear I have of just everything's well, going to go. Well, when you do, uh, give me some stock options and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I hear what the future of the world yeah, will yeah, look yeah, like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to to have you on my call list. <laughs> now that's when again when you like take that expectation out of the equation. Actually, when you start taking expectations in general out of the equation, it brings so much more just peace because mm. you you don't have to figure it out. Talk to anybody, literally like any adult, and ask them. <laughs> So, uh, did life turn out as you expected it to? All of them. Go, no, no, not quite. No, zero. <laughs> but they'll say it's better than I thought it was, or it's way worse. Than I or it's just different. Like we, right. I don't think yeah. we have to okay. attribute like better or worse to everything. It's just different. Um, hmm. Going back to one thing I took away from this weekend was uh, before before this week, I was beating myself up for the longest time, like last two years, basically. Of like I'm not where I thought I would be. That's a hard pill to swallow, especially when you're told that you're going to do great things, mm. right? But now that I'm 27 and I was in this like one week and I've had all these experiences that did not put me where I wanted to be, uh, but I will say I made the choices and had reasons for the choices I made. That gave me solace. That gave or that gave me some peace of mind. But I digress. I now know without a shadow of a doubt that the path that I have taken, you know, gave me experiences that I can relate to what these students are going through. And I can say, like I did after uh, Jeff's game of like, okay, you made this decision in life and it brought this result. You made this one and it brought that result. Uh, and I was just like, I've, I've seen almost all of this. And in real life, in real life, since I graduated high school, since I graduated college, even, and it was like, okay, it was not all for nothing. Mm. And my story, I can now be like, yeah, I've been there, done that. And I, well, I think about this all the time, like last year uh, when I was like almost homeless. And I was like, I never thought I would be here. I thought I would be making at least $60,000 a year. I haven't made $60,000 in the last four years combined. Um, but I realized like every influential person, I mean like the people who have the like YouTube channels and podcasts of like, and the investments of millions of dollars and all these things, like the people that I want to be like, they've all had a point in their life where they said, um, I had almost nothing or every single person who is successful has lost it all at some point. Oh, absolutely. And I felt like, okay, you know what? This is, this is where I'm starting from. This is my, my square one. Mm. and uh, it's, you know, I, I'm thankful for it, you know, but uh, like I said, that just because I'm thankful for it and I see a positive side doesn't mean that uh, <laughs> I'm going to be inherently, like, like I said before, I didn't have to lose my self-confidence in the first place. I didn't have to be almost homeless in the first place, and I think recognizing both of those things, like no matter what happens that could be used for bad can then be turned around for good. Mm. But you didn't ever have to stray in the first place, you know. So, do you think perfection is possible? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Um, move forward in ambiguity. 
because this world isn't perfect. People aren't perfect. There's no perfect solution. Perfect is a myth that you should like rid. <laughs> Actually, if, if people say, oh, impossible is not in my dictionary. You know what's not in my dictionary? Possible. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not in my dictionary is, uh, is, is perfection. Excellence, however, is. Excellent is the pursuit of perfection, but perfection isn't going to happen. I love that, that description there. Yeah. Excellence is the pursuit of perfection. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. That, that, that is not a description I have heard, but I love it. Oh, yeah. It's, and uh, my, my minor, my, my class that I was in in college was called is the Center for Manufacturing Excellence. Mm. So the whole thing it went back to uh, Six Sigma, small changes, incremental steps forward that are going to reduce the waste, reduce mistakes, and all these things. And like, that's what you're striving for. You're not striving for perfection. In fact, when you look at uh, the defect rate for, okay, we make a hundred parts and five of them are bad. You know, that, that's terrible. Like that's, that's, oh, that's a 95% success rate. Okay, great. But I'll say the, the story I was working in a, uh, a like manufacturing plant that had a 3% defect rate. That 3% cost them $3 million a year. Mm. That's a big ticket. Um, but there's a balance between that going from, say, 2% to 1% is, like, incrementally more difficult. And it's going to cost you, like, five times, however many times as much to get from that 2% to 1% than it, did, than it is going to get from that 3% to 2%. You know, mm. So you're always striving for perfection but giving yourself grace at the same time. Now, Bryce, you you're in. I personally think you're on the right path. This this passion that you have for ecological manufacturing change, I think it's a very real problem that we have. I think we need people like you that are passionate about it. Mm-hmm. So, we're closing up the show here. Yeah. I want to hear, Bryce, how do you think we can change the world? Well, when you start realizing that your decisions impact other people. Then it impacts the future. It impacts, um, like, give you your shirt, for example, right? Um, this is Live Generously shirt. Awesome. Now, is this a Gildan shirt? Where is this? No, I think it's a, I don't know what it is, actually. Okay. Regardless, I got this at Old Navy. This is, might be a better example. Um, someone somewhere made this shirt. Right. Okay. And how you buy and what you buy impacts the people down the line. Like, uh, so you just start thinking more of the global context of what that product line is and how it's affecting the world in a greater scale. Then you start making more decisions to support that you're the future that you actually want, you know, voting with your dollar, uh, mm. buying the things or not buying things. That's a huge thing. Don't buy things. <laughs> <laughs> we like, need less people buying things. We need less consumerism uh, and, and more just living. Uh, so that's my big thing is just like open your mind to how your choices affect like people down the line, how it even got there in the first place. Uh, and also your actions. Like I think we all have something that somebody said that either greatly hurt us or greatly inspired us. Does that person know? 
Mm. How many times have you said something that could either hurt or encourage someone? Mm. Um, so when you start looking at that and you realize your life is not your own, I think uh, we'll be able to live a lot better life. That's beautifully said. I, I, I think both accolable to our personal relationships that we have, but as you said, keeping in mind the supply chain all the way down. Do you have any companies that are doing a really good job right now being sustainable, keeping the supply chain in mind all the way through? So this is actually a great segue into the podcast that I want to start. Oh, yeah? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do, do, do a little shout out. Oh, well, it's not started yet. So for future me. <laughs> we'll, we'll link it we'll in the back. description when it, yeah, when when it, it begins. So I there's something called the uh, Benefit Corporations or B Corps. And you know, B Corp certified, all these things. These are companies that are taking uh, into context or into consideration uh, their sociological um, impact, whether that's who they're working with, how the goods are being produced, and what impact post-production that they have. It's called full life cycle analysis. And basically, these B Corps are saying, hey, we're doing more good than harm. And I want to do a show that is kind of looking into these types of companies how they're approaching it, and how good it actually is. Because I think both of us can say there's a lot of certifications out there. And, you know, who's to say that Dawn dish soap, you know, versus the fully organic option, that the fully organic option is any good. Right. <laughs> or that it, it actually is doing good. So these are the kind of things that I really want to delve into. Um, but here in South Florida, I can say that for Ocean is a company that is cleaning up ocean coasts all over the world. They're in Bali, they're in uh, Guatemala, they're in uh, Honduras, and they then sell like shoes, bracelets, things like that. Recycled from the... Yeah, recycled from it um, or just to to process it into other things. There are... uh, There's a... Two companies in Nashville that I know of. One is called Nisolo Shoes that works with shoemakers in Ecuador to have a living wage and also personal finance and actually how to you know break those generational curses. That's awesome. And then Thistle Farms, I believe, is the name of it, also in Nashville that gives um, single mothers, specifically those with criminal backgrounds, a uh, fresh start. Dave's Bread, which you can find in a lot of. Uh, I think it's called stores. Dave's Killer Bread, right? I believe so. Yeah, yes. Dave's Killer Bread. They also hire um, ex-cons to work and, again, give them a, a fresh start. So there's a lot of – that's a huge wave right now that I, I want to start sharing. Look, these options are available. Everything that you buy, there's an option that is actually giving back. Mm. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be exciting. That's so awesome. And if you don't have an answer to this, that's okay. But do you have a resource where maybe how would people figure out if a company's doing the sustainable thing or not? Is Google sufficient? Um, that is something that is currently like really big talk right now is how do you have that standardized um, metrics? And there hasn't been a universal number to go by. Uh, but basically, if it's B Corp certified, it's a very strenuous um, certification. So that's a good place to start. All right, great. All right. Well, that was our talk with Bryce Johnson, a future leader in whatever capacity. And, uh, if you like this episode, feel free to like, and comment down below. And we'll bring on more guests of young people who strive for excellence and who want to lead. 
If you want to be a leader, join the movement today. Hashtag TLT movement. Hashtag us everywhere. Watch the show. Recommend it to your friends. We're not perfect, but we are striving for excellence. The pursuit of perfection. So if you enjoyed this episode, give us some feedback and have a great day.